Welcome listeners. We have this amazing bonus episode for you all to listen to and we hope you enjoy. And today we are joined by Maggie Young. Maggie is a member of the MS community and she's also white. And I say that um, because as everyone is aware, we're living through very interesting, tumultuous and interesting (laughs) times where I think that people are realizing that we need to start privileging the voices of black people and not just have white be the standard. And that's just the reality of how things are. So with that said, I, I make mention that Maggie is white because she's here today to really kind of talk to her people about um, the realities of today and what white people can do to kind of take the burdens off of black people and um, start stepping up and doing the work. And so she has a really important voice and um, we think that people need to hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that what she has to say is relevant. It's, uh, It's important. Exactly. And frankly, we're tired. We're so tired. And it is such a relief to have allies who are committed to taking the burden off. And um, yeah, we get into some of that with Maggie today. So we hope that all of you enjoy the episode. Welcome to season three of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We're just two black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. And please subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash podcast. And if you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us through our Patreon. Patrons gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, myelin and melanin merchandise, and more. We'd like to shout out our music producer, Shah Severe, for our podcast music over the past three seasons. Today we have a wonderful guest. She's part of the MS community and our friend. And I would like to introduce her, uh, Maggie. Maggie Young, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your MS story? Absolutely. I am very honored you guys asked me to come on this podcast and talk with everyone. Um, I'll just briefly, my name is Maggie Young. I was diagnosed with relapsing and remitting MS in 2004 officially. I did have clinically isolated syndrome before that, but 2004 was when my diagnosis was made official. I'm originally from North Carolina, but have lived all over the country as my schooling and work and disease process has changed the course of my life a bunch of times. Um, I, when I was diagnosed, I was 23 and 
I knew absolutely no one with MS. I, I remember specifically the neurologist handing me a box. I think it was like a, of Avanax at the time and telling me that there was no cure and there was really nothing else he could do for me. Although he did show me a video of very happy people in oh. wheelchairs and canes and things like wow. that. Um, they were loving life. So I guess that was oh. supposed to make me feel better. Right. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, my experience with the MS has been very frustrating and confusing and isolating had a lot of symptoms, a lot of disease progression. I haven't responded well to different DMTs. Mm -hmm. I've also moved around a lot, so it can be hard to really establish a long-term relationship with a provider. So currently now in 2020, my official designation is likely secondary progressive MS or atypical MS, which I didn't even know was a, a designation. Thing. Yeah. 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 Well, I've, I have, I'm not familiar with that Me either. So what is I was that? not either. So it's basically what it sounds. It is a disease process of MS that just doesn't fit well into the other four main ones. Hmm. Um, and there's, there's still, so at one point NMO was in that atypical Mm -hmm. um, grouping. And now we've watched as that has kind of moved out onto its own. Um, personally, I feel like it's the, we don't really know box, but we know you have MS. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, So, so Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of where we're at. Um, I am not currently on a DMT. I was on, I, I did all the, what we used to call ABC drugs mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I was one of my doctor's first patients to go on Tysabri when it came out and mm-hmm. right after it, it, you know, people had died and they didn't know why. And yeah. I, um, I had to get my release form notarized and I wow. don't remember what it said, but it was something like, you know, if you choose to take this medication and you, are to die, like you will not sue, you know, a million people. Wow. Um, yeah. And then eventually, you know, they figured out the link. And um, I also tried uh, Tecfidera and I went off of Tysabri. I was on Tysabri twice. Mm. The last time was for a significant number of years, like four or five years. And okay. I went off in 2015. Um, and I've been doing IVIG just for maintenance therapy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which they don't really know why that works for MS patients sometimes. But in my case, it has helped a little bit, just day-to-day symptoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point in my journey, and I know we all change and evolve as our experience with, with MS does, but at this point in my journey, quality of life is more important to me. Yes. Um, so if I can get some symptom relief, like that's the direction I want to go. Absolutely. Um, so, Have you had yeah. any sort of exacerbations or weird, I don't know, weird anything happened with like this year or? Yeah, I definitely, um, on Christmas day in 2019, um, I woke up with severe vertigo, oh. just debilitating. 
Mm-hmm. And um, it is still here now. Like I, really? I, I have days where I can't even get out of bed from it. Um, oh. It's I've been doing intense vestibular therapy and real oh. rehabilitation. Um, my bladder issues also got a lot worse this year, a lot worse in about mm-hmm. March. Mm-hmm. Um, and all my usual stuff I had done for years wasn't touching it. And the the spasms were horrific and yes. the, the pain. And it's, you always find yourself thinking, is this just life now? Like, right. Mm-hmm. Is this how it is? Um, so that in the last two weeks has actually improved a little bit. And I, again, I'm not sure if it's because we've been doing different treatments and different drugs, or maybe it was just time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, who knows with the yeah. disease? Wow. Are you doing physical therapy? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm doing physical therapy. We also, I get Botox in my bladder, which let me tell you, is not fun. Oh, um, and we increased that dose and been using a lot more muscle relaxers, uh-huh. uh, physical therapy, exercises, and a lot of just grimacing and getting yeah. through it. Right. So let me add, so I get uh, Botox injections in my calves and, yes. you know, whatever. That being said, I am trying to imagine Botox in the bladder. Can you explain that oh a little bit? Yes. Yeah. So... I will preface this by saying, you know, to your listeners, I'm going to give you all the information here. Um, Give it to us straight. (laughs) (laughs) So the best part about this is when it was, I always joke with everyone, like I get black Botox, like all over my body and inside my body and nowhere that would make me look younger. Like I'm missing out. Like my (laughs) legs are going to look, you know, 30 30 (laughs) for my life. so when the urologist first suggested the Botox to me, it's not the current uh, urologist I have now. Mm. He said, oh, it's no big deal. Like, it's really a minor. It's a clinic visit. You know, you'll be in mm. and out. And naive me four years ago. I don't know how I can still be naive with this many <laughs> years with this disease. Right. But of course I believed him. Um, it was horrific. <laughs> so oh. you, what they first do is, uh, you drain your bladder and then they uh, put a catheter in to drain any remaining um, urine because, uh-huh. as you know, people with MS, like, we retain, like, right. crazy. Yes. Yes. Then they put another catheter in and they fill your bladder with lidocaine. So, oh, in God. theory, Ooh. you know, that should numb your bladder. Right. They, they let it sit in there for, like, I think it's 15 minutes. And then they come in and they insert a needle through a scope all the way up your urethra into your bladder and give injections, like 20 or 30 injections into your bladder wall. Oh Oh my God. There you go. But no big deal, right? Like, no big deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Just a clinic visit. I seriously wanted to tell that guy, like, would you like needle up your penis? Like, I right. don't know right. how you would react to this, and it wouldn't be good. Oh, Jesus. So it's he like, didn't, like, ex- like warn you about, like, no. what the process would be? Oh, my God. Oh, no geez. explanation. 
And you know, maybe I should have asked, you know what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to stop rationalizing right. yeah. behaviors. Yeah. We are going to cancel that. It should have been his job as a physician to explain the process to me, or at least his nurse. Right. Um, and because I know they do this all day long, but we don't. Right. Yes. So oh, that was um, a couple years. I've been doing it now for about three years. And my current urologist is wonderful. And when I started working with him, he, he had moved here from Denver. Mm. And he said, well, how do you handle it? looks like you've been getting these, um, this procedure in the clinic. Like, how do you handle that? And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? Right. And he said, well, I, I find that especially for my female patients that have pelvic floor issues, you know, this is actually very painful for them. So most of the time I do it in a outpatient surgical setting and give you light sedation. And so it's just much more comfortable. Mind blown. Yes. Yes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> unreal. It is unreal. Like, I just, and so we, we did it. Um, he's newer to me, like in the last year and, and you can only get, so as you guys know, um, like with Botox and other areas, uh-huh. like with my legs, I can get it every three months right. and like for my trigeminal neuralgia, like a different thing. I don't know who mm-hmm. makes the rules on this, but, um, with the bladder, it's every five months. Okay. And so I, he's only done this for me twice since he's newer to my care. So the first time we got to do it in the um, outpatient uh, clinic, I mean, um, surgery center, uh-huh. and it was just such a dream and so much better. But then the pandemic hit. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Botox in your bladder is apparently elective. So he was able to, which I'm just so grateful to, take my case to administration or whoever to get it classified as medically necessary. But the, the toss up was that we wouldn't be able to do it in the surgery center because that was at the time when like, uh, PPE was really just right. no, like right. medical supplies were nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he, he told me, he said, look, I, I know this sucks, but I also know you need it and you let, you know, let me know. So, um, they allowed my husband to come with me and I, you know, I took some Valium beforehand and I did it in the clinic and it was a much better experience. I do think I traumatized my husband a little bit. (laughs) Really? Oh gosh. And it was the very beginning of COVID too, where, you know, they're not allowing anyone into the hospital and and they're, everybody's wearing masks and, um, you know, it it was kind of like a scene out of ET. And then we, we go up to the clinic office and there's this giant screen and the urologist is like threading the the needle up a catheter and like my bladder is on the screen. I I didn't think this one through you guys. Like, I didn't think it through. <laughs> it was like a thing. It was a, an event. It yeah. was. Wow. It was. And, I, and here I am thinking the spinal tap was the worst thing ever. Oh, gosh. Jeez. That's a whole other thing. Right. You, yeah. I'm we could talk about had that for a, hours. a spinal tap, Maggie. Oh, yes. I've had okay. five. Oh, yeah. Oh, my That'll be gosh. another episode. But yes, yes. we yes. have got spinal tap stories. Oh, wow. yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, God, God forbid we use the spinal tap information from, you know, the previous physician. We Let's do it again. Oh, oh goodness. No. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you know, it, not to go off on a tangent and just say this really quickly, this reminds me of a conversation, several conversations that we had in our intimacy series. You know, you took your husband with you. And as Dr. Boster says, you, you were kind of fiddling around with the down there's. And how does that interfere with, you know, the intimacy part? I mean, I'm not asking, yes. I'm just saying like, it just makes me think about it. And then that's why you have to really communicate with your partner and have a great relationship because that's a, yes. this is like a big deal. Yeah. And, and that, that's that was yeah. definitely like kind of a failure on my part because I, I didn't take that into consideration. I was so focused on me right, and my right. comfort and right. needing his support that mm-hmm. I, I just, I was so, I was single focused. Like I, I couldn't yeah. think of anything else. And if I would do it differently, obviously, like I think I would have communicated more about exactly what was going to be seen and, and given him a, and said, I want you there and I need you there. But if you're not going to feel comfortable and it's going to make you feel a certain way afterwards, yeah. like I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, we learn, right? Funny. Exactly. Literally. Yes. So all of this being said, Maggie, I'm assuming it, does work for you it's uh, it does okay good okay it's, it's absolutely worth it um for me and you know it's so nice because I feel like there's a lot of things we do that we just have no idea if they're helping or will yep. they help or did they help or yep. you know and when you find something that helps it's just it's encouraging and gives you yes. momentum to keep going I know yes. that sounds a little extreme No, it's so true because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times with MS, like, you know, and and we've had it for a long time. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, things just stop working. Nothing's working. Nothing's working. And then when you find something that does, it's huge. It is. It's a dramatic thing. It's so huge. It's like, okay, this is working. My life is more bearable now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That little nugget of hope, like yes. even when it's fleeting, it, yep. I, you can just hold on to it for so long. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Wow. I know. So, I'm just like, it, oh, yeah. Baby. <laughs> oh my I love talking to you guys. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but we all get too tired. So we right, have to yeah. like <laughs> do it in person on lounges with lots of air conditioning. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. And pillows. Yeah. And right. Comfortable. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, we are, so just transitioning from, from your incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, I'm sure you. that was that was beautiful. It was beautiful and painful at the same time. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Painful. Well, you're yeah, welcome. But, Thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we are really in some interesting times and we appreciate you. We really do from the bottom of yes. our heart. We appreciate you. We appreciate our listeners. We appreciate the people who are showing up. I know we keep saying that those words, but it means a lot especially to Dana and I, because as everyone knows, we've been doing the podcast for the past three seasons. We started in 2018 Mm -hmm. and we absolutely love what we're doing. Love, love, love it. Like just hearing your story, talking to you, connecting with you and you're a person, we are people. And it's not about color. You know what I mean? It's about like Mm -hmm. the experiences, the shared experiences. And however, our experiences do look a bit different because we are black women. Mm-hmm. And 
knowing you knowing that and acknowledging that it, it's just, it's so, um, I don't know the right word and I don't want to say empowering, but I, I guess I'll use that for lack of a better word, but like life affirming. <laughs> it, yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to ask, or we wanted to, excuse me, we wanted to ask you to speak to the audience, our audience, your audience, because these are, this is our tribe. This is our community. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I guess specifically white people. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, let's people. just say it. We need yeah. to talk to right. the white yeah. people. Yes. Right. <laughs> if you can just kind of, you know, let loose, uh, you know, do what you, the most beautiful thing that you do is just talk and share and speak about what this time means to you and why is it important to support, you know, Dana and I and black voices mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of the above that we are, you know, touching on right now? Well, like, whoa, there, there's just, it's a lot. It's layered. It, yeah. yeah. It's a lot. Um, and I want to say, first of all, that I have been fortunate in my life to be surrounded and, um, lifted up and empowered by so many women as a whole, but also by so many black women. And like, it means a lot to me that you trust me and that you consider me an ally and a safe space for you, especially now, because I am watching like, specifically last week during our phone call, I could hear your pain. I could feel it. And I don't take that lightly. So I just want you to know that I appreciate both of you. I support you unconditionally. And I hope that by speaking out, you know, we make some kind of change for people we're never going to meet one day. Um, So, okay. And thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I am a white woman with MS. I am a disabled woman. I am a chronically ill woman. I am a probably lower middle class woman. Um, And my personal stance, and I'm sure you both have seen this on my recent stories and posts, I take calling yourself an advocate for the MS community extremely serious. It is a heavy and a loaded word. And I believe you cannot call yourself such for MS or any other chronic disease or disability and remain silent on the issue of the importance of black lives and specifically black chronically ill disabled lives and not do your work to dismantle this in some shape or form, period. I saw a lot of, quite frankly, disgusting things from people in the MS community recently, and I was disappointed. And I hate that that detracted from our community as a whole, because I know that we are better than that. you know, if you want to be an influencer or you want to profit off of 
you know, your work and whatever you're doing, that's fine. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with that. But I truly expect you to do better if you are a proud member of the MS community as a white person. Um, you know, we always say, as you guys know, in this MS community, like, we're so supportive and we right. encourage each other. And, you know, your journey is important. And all of that is true. But right now, the journeys that are most important and that need to be heard and supported are the people in the Black MS community and the Black community, period. Mm -hmm. It has been our turn for a very long time, whether people want to admit it or not. My experience with this disease has been different because of the color of my skin, and I am very well aware of that. Um, it does not mean that my experience hasn't been hard, and I'm not right. saying that other white women you know, white MS patients experience and journeys haven't been hard. Right. It's all hard, but it's different. And we need to demand representation. We need to diversify our own understanding of the MS experience because it is largely white right now and has been a very long time. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, we, we've been talking and Don and I, a lot about the idea of representation. And I think that one thing that people need to understand, um, especially as it relates to MS organizations, is that representation means so much more than putting a token black face on the cover of your magazine. Yeah. I'm just using that as an example. Representation is infusing black people, since we're talking about black people right now, all throughout the magazine, not saying like, you know, it's just exclusively has to be black people, but, but recognize our stories as important, uh, re important representations of the general MS experience. Right. So yeah, I'm black, but I also have spasticity, which has nothing to do with the fact that I'm black. Right. Let me tell my story about that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So right. it's just this whole idea of being tokenized which is so frustrating. And of course, now that with everything going on, you know, MS organizations, most of them have put out statements, you know, arguing that, you know, they're going to do better and this, that, and the other. And, you know, I'm very curious about what that's going to look like. So anyway. I am as well. It, and it's more than just a statement. It's more than an apology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are beyond that at this mm -hmm. point. Um, yeah. Because this hurts, if I can just mm -hmm. be real. Mm -hmm. It has hurt for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I've had MS. I know that I've had it. I probably had it at 19 and ignored all of the symptoms. Then it came back at like 23. And then I was mm -hmm. officially diagnosed at 25. So it's been 20 years for me. Um, and the images that I used to see were only women who just did not look like me. And I remember yeah. when I first went in to talk about it with my doctor, I was given brochures and, and pamphlets. This was the very first neurologist that I had. He was an elderly neurologist. He was not an MS specialist. Uh, he was kind and, and gentle. However, the images that I saw, 
it, I was just like, oh, okay. So I have some weird, rare illness that only white women get. Okay. Because I didn't know anything about it. No one in my family had MS. Nobody. I mean, the only illness that we had was my grandfather had Alzheimer's. So there was nothing else, you know, major in our family. I thought Parkinson's. And so I thought immediately another white woman, Janet Reno at the time. So I, you know, it was, it was isolating. And I think you may have said that before, Maggie, in one of our conversations, it felt, I felt extremely isolated. I felt alone. Mm -hmm. And as the year went on, I was officially diagnosed. And then I met my current neurologist and she, she's a, she's a black woman and seeing her and talking to her, I felt like, okay, she gets it, but she gets it from a medical standpoint. I still don't see any sort of representation. And it's funny Mm -hmm. because at the time we didn't have social media like we have now. We had uh, AOL, you know, (laughs) 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 and then there was some, I don't know which organization or who put it, who had it put out, but like you could chime in, like dial, it was dial up internet. So you (laughs) dialed in. (laughs) And you could chat with people from all over the country. And most of the people that I talked to were white. I didn't, I don't remember meeting one black person. I don't remember. I can't imagine how lonely that must've felt. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a weird feeling to be honest with you because it's like, wow, I'm part of, I'm part of a community where people understand, they understand Mm -hmm. the numbness, the tingling, the, the pain, the spasticity. But then you also feel alone. It's like, I don't have anybody to talk to. Like, what does this yeah. mean for me long-term? What does this mean right. for me financially and job-wise? And do I disclose? And, you know, am I going to lose my job if I disclose? I, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. Like, I had all mm-hmm. of those questions. And I didn't know what to do. So I just simply focused on MS. I only focused on the ABC drugs. I only focused. And then I, then I took Avanax. I only focused on on that and then not being compliant with having that. Right. <laughs> I was the worst. <laughs> oh yeah. I hated it. <laughs> Me too. Yes. Right. So, um, so yeah, it, it is affirming to use your words, Dana, um, to be part of this mo- movement right now. And this moment, it, it brings tears to my eyes. I'm not going to cry. I know I'm the mushy one of the two, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it feels good to be acknowledged and because for so long I feel we have been ignored again, not malicious. I don't know. Maybe who knows? I don't know, but I have felt ignored. And well, I, you know, I, I want to speak to that a little bit and also speak directly to, you know, any white MS patients that are listening to us. Um, you had said this earlier, like there, there are a lot of great black content creators that have MS, like you two are two of them. Um, but though what we as white people historically have done is expect black people to educate and us and make it easier for us and you know, and at this time, we need to stop that. Like, yes. I know that you guys have a podcast and you're not stopping the podcast. 
but it is not your role to do the work for us as white people, especially white MS patients on this issue. Our role right now is to support you, to amplify your voices, and that includes financially supporting you. To be quite frank, it means subscribing to podcasts, you know, watching monetized YouTube videos, and I'm specifically talking about in like a social media right, right. context. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I know YouTube personally are are more than happy to talk to people, and you know, you're open and you say just just message us. You know, we're we're here. Like we'll answer your questions. Um, but there is so much, like, I can't even imagine the emotional whiplash you guys are going through right now. Um, and I just want any of, like, our white MS patients that are listening to just be sensitive to that and not put their shit on you guys. Like, you already have enough to deal with with a debilitating disease on top of it in the middle of the biggest moment in anti-racism we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a very long, like growing up white in the South, um, you are basically taught to uh, not rock the boat and, um, you know, kind of make yourself pretty, but not heard. Um, Don't do anything controversial. Um, And it has taken me a really long time to shed that. But the reason I bring that up is because I know that as a white woman, I used to get defensive because my identity was so tied to how much of a good person I am. And I had this light bulb moment, you know, in the recent years, like this, when, when people like people aren't coming like quote unquote coming at me, Um, when they are disagreeing with me or they have a different opinion, like it's not about me, like just, just period. It's not about me. And, and having to flip that switch was really when I was able to do more work like internally, because I know we're, we're, you know, we met through social media and, and we, you know, do these advocacy on these platforms, but the real work is going to take place offline. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I keep coming back to like our role online as white people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be different than our role offline as white right. people. And like, we have to be okay with that. Yes. So like, do I want to post right now about, even though my bladder issues, like we talked about it earlier are like ruining my life. No, because that's not important. And I, I am asking myself, like, I've, everything that's happened the last few months, the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, the recent events with police brutality and the marches and the, the vigils and all this um, new sort of content that's, that's being embraced about race and, and talking about race has really made me reevaluate how I want to use my space in social media and like what is truly important and who is it serving? Is it serving me? Like, mm-hmm. am I spreading awareness? Like, could I be making a difference in a different way? And, you know, I, I've been really encouraged the last few days, honestly, by a number of people in the MS community. Like, I don't know if you follow Jenna Green. Oh yeah. yeah. 
I loved her recent the post. Yes. <laughs> the Jenna yeah, Green. Yeah, so we tease her. The Jenna Green. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and because let's be honest, like most of her posts before have been very, um, they've been great, but it's, you know, we, we try to make things so palatable and comfortable mm-hmm. for other people, right? Like yes. we can't talk about the truth about RMS because that's going to scare people away from uh-huh. our awareness. Um, and so when I saw that post, I was just like, hell freaking yes. Mm-hmm. Like I, and, and I'm actually seeing, you know, more of that. And I, I think that I know we're not giving cookies out. Like I, I know we're not giving like participation awards, right. but I hope people know that a lot of us do see them. We see them trying yep. like, like white people. I see you trying mm. and my black friends, I see you being emotionally freaking exhausted and still trying to help us even through your pain. And now I'm about to get emotional. Um, and it, it honestly fills me with a lot of hope. Like, yes, we, we've yeah. never been able to get through it. Like as when you were talking about earlier, feeling so isolated, you know, with MS, um, I've only kind of made it this far because of the relationships that I've made with other MS people and the information I've learned. And like, I can't imagine my life with, without that. Mm-hmm. I think we have to get through this together. I, I, and I don't, I don't want to sound like little house in the prairie and you know, <laughs> the utopian society is about to take place, but we really, we have to feel the pain together. You have to feel mm-hmm. You have to empathize, not you, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the white community, yeah. white people, you guys have to understand like this is generational trauma. Mm-hmm. All of this is triggering. Like the news showing this man's knee on over his- Over and over again. I, I can't, I have chills. I, mm-hmm. the, the images, hearing him say, call out mama, it is so- triggering and but all of this is so triggering and I think like you said Jenna posting what she's posting and you recognizing that and Mm -hmm. and knowing it's almost like a light bulb just went off like yeah and and that's what I mean about feeling isolated now I don't feel that way and I feel like wow we actually have allies we have people who get it Mm -hmm. we have people who want to hear want to change and although you cannot physically, you know, like, I don't know, donate millions of dollars to different organizations, <laughs> nobody's asking for that. We're just asking you to care. We're mm-hmm. asking you to like, work with us, talk to us, teach other people in your mm-hmm. community and, and yeah. not put this burden on, on us because exactly. we can't handle it. Yeah. I, I know I can't. No. I I don't think Dana can either. No. You know, um, I, I know that like when I was growing up, it's almost like I was taught too much that race didn't matter. I don't know if that, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. But like, and it really would sort of, I would, I would be scared to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I didn't want to say the wrong thing. And you know, right. I, I like all this super PC crap and, um, you know, I think I'm watching a lot of people struggle with, I don't want to say the wrong thing or, um, 
I don't want to do the wrong thing. And, and that's okay to not know mm-hmm. what the, what your thing or the right thing is going to be like, that's okay. Like we need to normalize this uncertainty. And, yes. you know, I, I have white women that I can take this to and I can wrestle this with. And so that we aren't burdening our black friends. And like, I want to encourage the people that are listening to this, like truly talk about this shit with people you trust that look like you, because I guarantee you, you're not the only one feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let your white people know where you stand. I think that you need to, however, if it's going to rock the boat or whatever, make it rock the boat because it should yeah. be. It This is what should be happening. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, everybody has those family members that, you know, you know that so-and-so probably, you know, is racist or whatever. And yeah. you just don't talk about, you know, you don't right. want to ruin everybody has that uncle, dinner. Right? Or like yes. that old grandpa. Exactly. That you're like, oh God, don't say anything. Exactly. But it's like, you know what? You got to bring it up. Yeah. Make him feel uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? And let people know where you stand because, you know, silence is violence. It really is. is. And we can't afford to be silent anymore. No, Um, I mean, too, too much has been lost. Too much damage has occurred. And it's, you know, quite frankly, if you are worried about offending people on this issue, then you got some shit to work out with yourself. Yes. yes. Like go to a therapist, read some books. I mean, this is a humanity issue. This isn't a political issue. This isn't a, I mean, this is saying we no longer stand for this racism against the black community, against black people. And if I have to put a sign in my front yard, like, fine, whatever. You know, right. I, I had followers flee my page when mm-hmm. I first started posting about this. Not that I care. Like, right, like you right. guys, I didn't get into this. Like, I truly just got into this to share my experience and help people. Like, that's it. Um, right. And support the community. But, um, you know, if you're not going to listen to me, and I'd rather you not be here anyway. And I don't want to associate myself yes. with people that think that way, apparently undercover too. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't want to share space with you. I don't. And, you know, it's to me even more telling the people who are saying nothing and just going yeah. on like businesses. This is not bu- like there will never be business as usual. Ever again. Ever again. And people need to get comfortable with that. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. I mean, we're talking about generations of this. So, you know, the whole, the George Floyd murder is not anything that's new. This is the first time that people have seen it play out the way it has. Yes. You know, this is something that happens. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people get on, you know, a kick you know, no justice, no peace, black lives matter for like a week and then forget about it. And it's like, no, like this isn't a trending topic. Yes. To exactly to you. 
personally, first of all, and it is not a trending topic. Like it's not acceptable as a trending topic. Like this is a movement and a change. Yes. Well, I think, I think COVID, I'm sorry, if you want Mm -hmm. to cut you off. Oh, no, it's okay. Oh, um, I think COVID like made us realize things are not going back to, to the same. Like the MS community, we're, we were used to like being in and everybody's like, Oh my God, this is awful. I'm like, oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, we're kind of used to this. Like get, get with it. All of these <laughs> things that are happening. It's like, okay, you should have been used to the change already because nothing is going back to, to the same. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I have a quick question for you, Maggie. Um, sure. So because you were just talking about how you were growing up and how you were taught to just kind of like, you know, you talked about race and not really ruffled feathers. You don't want to talk about it. Is it as a white person, is it paralyzing like to talk about it? it you know um, what I mean? Like if say, this is how I'm feeling. This is racism. It's not for me. Um, but I think I would not, I think I, I'm, it's more the norm for it to be paralyzing. I think at the root of it, honestly, it's just not being comfortable. Like, I think as white people, we have been comfortable, like, we've always been fairly comfortable. We've never not been comfortable. Like, I can't even think of a single situation until I became disabled, probably, where I felt uncomfortable, where I felt unsafe, where I felt like people were staring at me where I felt like I was alone. Like I, and so as white people, this discomfort is very, very new to us. And it's not something we want to feel. And so we just try to get rid of it. And I mean, I think that's why you, we saw a lot of the black squares with literally no helpful information in the captions, you know, at all. Um, Because it was like, I am so wildly uncomfortable right now. And I am paralyzed with what to do or say. And I'm just going to do this black square and boom, I feel better. Instant gratification. Exactly. You know, I think that one of the things that probably makes white people feel uncomfortable and not wanting to talk about race is that it, it's going to require that you start holding yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. And people are lazy. Let's just be honest. Yes. You know, I mean, that's just what did we just watch with COVID? Like- Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, people, once you know, you know, it's, it's easy to be ignorant to things. Yeah. Because once you know what's really going on, you have to tap into your humanity and do something different and move a little bit Mm -hmm. different. And, you know, somebody had asked me, um, why would anybody willingly give up privilege? And my response is, we're we're all occupying the same space. Mm -hmm. So really dial into your humanity and i'm not in the sense that okay we're all humans whatever but the reality is we are all living here together and if i'm um if i'm going down you're going down too and i think that you know 
that is what we have seen happening. People are realizing how interconnected we are. And like time's up now. I mean, we've been patient long enough dealing with this and now you've got to deal with it too. Yeah. And I, and that makes people, it's scary because it's unknown, but you know, yeah. But you know what? People with MS should be able to tap into that part right there more than most. It is never going to be the same, but like maybe we can start there with, with, sort of relating to the sentiment behind it and, and being more empathetic because we are not in control with, our, with this disease. Mm-hmm. Like we have had to learn how to be uncomfortable yes. and that should set us up for this issue better than most people. And let's use it to our advantage. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that somebody like there's that statement that, um, uh, Cause you were talking about denial and you know how it's easy to be, it's easier to be ignorant. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that quote. It's like, once you know better, do better. You do better. Yep. And it's like, I have, I have understanding for people who truly just don't know. Right. But mm-hmm. once I tell them my truth or the truth, mm-hmm. then that's on them to yep. take that knowledge and change their behavior and change their words and, and, change their actions and do better. Yep. Absolutely. Like there's no excuse after that. Exactly. And I think too, it is important for white people to understand that you don't just learn about racism and privilege and then it's done. This is a lifelong process. It's you're constantly learning and listening and that's okay. And you're going to mess up. You're going to, but you've got to keep going. You know, and yeah, people need to not be afraid of making mistakes because it will happen. But you apologize, listen, and your action, we we see what you're doing. Yes. And, you know, people need to always remember, we see you, we're watching you, and we we see you trying. And that, that's- And I also, oh yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying that's important. We see, Mm -hmm. we see you. You know, I think in the white- community as white people like our whole lives were rewarded for doing things right and then it's mm-hmm. on to the next thing yep. um you know we're talking even from like as toddlers and you know graduating kindergarten and and you know playing baseball or soccer or whatever like mm-hmm. you know we're just we're just used to be to being congratulated and applauded and it's like oh what am yep. I going to accomplish next Mm-hmm. And you put that behind you and you go to your next thing. That's not how this works. Yep. Like you don't read one book. Yes. On white fragility, which obviously everybody needs to read. Right. right. And then put it down and say, okay, well, I'm awake now. You know, I understand and, and got it. I got it from, from here on out. Like, no. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's you're always learning. And that's good. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And don't be afraid when somebody calls you out. I mean, just take the knowledge, learn and keep moving forward. And people are doing it nine times out of 10 because they love you. Absolutely. You know, they don't want you to walk around. That's just like telling somebody that they have 
lipstick on their to on their teeth. Yeah. You're telling them because you don't want them to look stupid. Right. That's why you tell them that. Not to, you know, make you feel like an idiot or anything like right. that. No, I'm telling you because I love you. I care about you. I don't want you to be out here sounding and looking like an idiot. So you might want to think about what you said and move forward. That, that right. is a perfect example. And like it goes back to what we were talking about, normalize being wrong. Like mm-hmm. when someone points something out to you, it's, they're helping you. Like they yes. want you to do, they believe you can do better. They want you to do yes. better. Like, like they're not going around the rest of their day thinking how awful you are. And I think as white people, yes. that's, that is a lot of what happens. It's like, oh my God. I said this and Dawn corrected or like called me out and Uh now she hates me. And then like I beat myself up all day long. Right. You haven't thought about that since you finished clicking send. Yes. 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 We got to get comfortable with this as white people. Like we absolutely have to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like prepare to be uncomfortable, but get comfortable with the uncomfortable. You know yes. what I mean? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Because it's not, none of it's easy. And like I said, we are, we're in this together. We're learning together. Like this is, it's an adjustment for us too, for black people. Yeah. Like this is okay. an adjustment for me to be able to talk to you freely and open, to be able to talk to Jenna, you know, like mm-hmm. to be able to like call out organizations. This is an adjustment. We have not mm-hmm. had this, you know, because it's always been like behind closed doors. Like we, we have our chats and it's like, well, should we say something? What do you think? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. You know, it, it's, it's, it's so different. And yeah. we've never had this opportunity to just be out in the open and there is no judgment. I'm not going to mm-hmm. judge you or anybody else because you aren't aware. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if, if a white person comes to me and says, well, what is Juneteenth? I'm not going to judge you because you don't know. You know right. what I mean? Like half the black people in this country probably don't know that either, you know? <laughs> yeah. But that, I mean, the point is there no, like Dana said, we are not walking around like, oh, you're wrong. And like you said too, Maggie, like, and be angry all day. And mm-hmm. no, not at all. Just do better. That's yeah. all. Yeah. That, that it's, it's simple. Do better. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much, Maggie, for this conversation and for being so transparent and for talking to your people. I mean, that's what needs to happen. And we see you and we really appreciate all that you're doing. And I know you're not doing it for cookies and for acknowledgement, but we just want to let you know we see you. And thank you for um, being a safe space for us. Yes, you're welcome. I I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Maggie, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Sure. So I am on Instagram at Maggie, and that's M-E-G-G-I-E, and A-N-D-M-S. I recently started a Twitter account, and I'm terrified of it. Uh, so I don't know how active it's going to be, but it is the same handle. So it is also at Maggie and MS. I'm not on Facebook. Um, I really, you know, I, I try to be very intentional with my yes. energy. And so um, Instagram is kind of where I feel comfortable. So, but, you know, definitely 
come connect with me like I'm, I'm here and I also want to tell the any white people listening um, I'm a safe space for you too I do not tolerate racist obviously mm-hmm. obviously but if you want to learn and you have a question like put it on me and let me point you in the right directions like I will do that for you I will not judge you I will you can ask me stupid questions so because we're all it, this is going to take all of us like you said earlier yes thank you for that Maggie. thank you and if i can just say the teacher and me there aren't any stupid questions there aren't <laughs> right <laughs> right that's what i tell my students but yes maggie will you come on the show again at some point in time and i'd uh, love to we have to, so many topics to discuss we, we've got to talk about uh, spinal tap experience we have oh to. my <laughs> yes i think that'll be next on our agenda with maggie the spinal right. tap. can't wait <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks so much maggie thank you talk to you guys soon okay bye, okay. bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.